Well, it is no surprise we are talking about dealing with differences in marriage. And as I talked about in the recent thing I just explained to you, this has a lot of application to our church. And unfortunately, there's no way I'm going to cover everything I was supposed to cover today. Sorry, um, that, that announcement took a little too long. But I want to give us some ideas on how we deal with differences. Here's the first one. We really need to recognize, and this is so rich application to our church too, we need to recognize the architect behind our differences. The architect behind our differences. Now, I don't think it's any mistake that you, quite literally, if you are married in a marriage that's biblical, you are fundamentally different from your spouse because you are a man and a woman, I hope, right? That's what the Bible says. So even that genetic reality recognizes that there is a God who makes vastly different created beings, right? Men and women can be so different in a lot of ways. And yet God has chosen to put men and women together, different people together. And what we need to recognize is that God, we understand a little bit about God who loves, a God who loves differences when we notice his vast, diverse creation. That the Bible is very clear that all the diversity of this world was created by God. Think about how many different things we describe as mountains. Okay? We describe the rocky mountains with their big, tall, sloped, snow-capped peaks as mountains. In my hometown of Tucson, there are the Catalina Mountains, a little softer slopes and filled with cacti up to a certain elevation. In the eastern part of the United States, in Pennsylvania, there are the Pocono Mountains, which really are more like speed bumps, you know? They're, but yet they're called mountains. They're small, rolling green hills filled with lush vegetation. And yet all of that is a mountain. And all of that was created by God. All of it was. The first John, or sorry, John 1.3 says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was Made. And what I want you to recognize this morning is the same God who created diverse environments creates diverse people. He creates diverse people. And not only does God create diverse people, but here's where the rubber meets the road a little bit. God creates diverse people and calls you to be in a relationship with diverse people. Okay? Your marriage is an example of that. The church is an example of that. I would say... Uh, church, if we're going to preach the gospel and be faithful there, what you should expect right now, it's going to become more and more evident, is if our church is, is reaching people, our church will become less like you and less like me. Because the gospel has a target audience of everybody. The gospel's target audience is not just red-blooded Republicans. It, it's not just people who are over 50. And it's not just young families either. The gospel's target audience is everybody. And when we proclaim the gospel, when we proclaim the word, and we have services that are not just tuned to a certain subculture of American church life, then what we can expect is that our church will attract diverse people. And then what, what's really hard is that then as a church, we're gonna have to live in love with diverse people who are very different than us and don't have a lot of the same preferences, right? And your marriage is the same way. You are married to somebody who is very different from you. Here's how much God loves diversity. Think about this. God himself, even though he's one person, is so diverse, he calls himself three people. 
Wrap your head around that. God is so into diversity that he himself is three people in one person. Your marriage, what it is, is it's not a trinity. It's a, I don't know, two. A what? Duality. Wow. $5 word, baby. I love it, Robert. A duality. Yes, yes. My vocabulary is expanded. That's what your marriage is, what he said. Our marriage is two in one and God is three in one. That's how much God loves diversity. And here's three different types of differences you can expect with your spouse, with your church family, and with your work family or your extended family. Lord, help us all. Personal hardwiring. Boy, and I think this is one that, that Paul the Apostle celebrates, how God has gifted everybody differently. And I look out in this crowd and I see such diverse personal hardwiring. We have people in this crowd who are mechanically inclined. We have people in this crowd who are exceptionally artistic. We have people who love numbers, lists, and are task-oriented. We have people in this crowd who are outgoing. We have people in this, this group who are introverts, some extroverts, and some of us somewhere in the middle verts, right? I mean, God has created a diverse amount of people who are hardwired a different way. And when I say personal hardwire, I mean that there's very little about that you can change, okay? What else is different? This is the biggest one, I think. Viewpoints, instincts, and tastes, Okay? I think what's, what's uh, interesting to me, even this week, what this, this recent stuff I just talked to you about reveals is that we have different backgrounds, right? You and your spouse have different backgrounds. You come from a background where on Christmas you have a certain dish. And by golly, if you don't eat that certain dish, it's not Christmas, right? You know, uh, it, uh, on Christmas you have a certain tradition, and my goodness gracious, if you don't decorate the tree the day after Thanksgiving, it's hardly Christmas at all. Christmas has been ruined, right? You have certain traditions. You have certain viewpoints, by the way, that are not shaped because they're right or wrong, but because you have certain life experiences that have shaped you. And what we need to recognize is our viewpoint, our instinct, our taste is neither right nor wrong. It's just us. But we also need to recognize is that that person we are married to did not automatically download all of the same viewpoints, instincts, and tastes as you. And by the way, God doesn't want them to. We'll talk about that in a minute. Like this. Who thinks and who enjoys pineapple on their pizza? Raise your hand. One Lone range. That's how it should be. The one weird person in the room who likes pineapple. Uh, praise God, I'm in the majority on that. I'm feeling really good right now. What about toilet paper? Over or under? Who's the over crowd? I'm the over. That's right. Under? We got some unders? Jerry, where are you at on there? Over or under, right? There's differences there, right? Yeah, right. Apple? Who's got an iPhone? We were actually, I think I'm in the minority. Android or non-smartphone, right? There's differences in taste, and neither of those are right or wrong, although I, I think Android's wrong. I'm just kidding. All of that, what you need to recognize is by God's design. If you want to fight against that, here's where I want to warn you. You're fighting against the design of the creator who wants diversity in his world. And then, too, we're diverse in our personal sin and weaknesses, 
We're diverse in our personal sin and weaknesses. Okay? What do I mean by that? James 1 says this, that each of us, when we are tempted, you maybe are familiar with the verse, we are drawn away by our own lusts and enticed. What's interesting about that is the word James uses there is the Greek word idios. Now, some of you are thinking it, that's the root word for idiots. It's not. Uh, it's the root word for, the, in our English vocabulary, idiosyncrasies, which are things that are particularly unique to you. What James is saying in James chapter number one is that all of us, listen, we are all tempted by different lusts. We fall and we are particularly weak in certain areas, right? Some people in a marriage are more tempted by the sin of laziness than the other. Some are more tempted by the sin of bitterness than the other. Some are more tempted by anger than the other right? And then selfishness, all these things, right? These are personal sins that we deal with. And what I want to warn you is, and many of you figured this out a long time ago, your spouse does not struggle with the same things you are. And by the way, that's a gift. God put two people, very different sin struggles together in a marriage. Can you guess why? Why? Strengthen each other. Two are better than one, right, Sid? So the one falls, you can pick them up. There's areas my wife is strong spiritually that I'm not. I'm not. There's areas I'm strong spiritually that she's not. I don't know. I think the list on her side is a little stronger than mine, but you know, we'll just leave it at that. And so what the beauty of that is, is that if you're in a healthy marriage, you two can make each other better, right? You two can make each other better. But so many times as a spouse, we get overly frustrated about that. We get frustrated about that. We think, well, how could you, how can this be a problem? It's not a problem for me. Well, what we forget is you are built differently. You have different sin struggles, quite literally. There are sins that tempt you that I don't even think about. I'm not worried about them. But there are sins that tempt me that you don't even struggle with at all, right? And so we're all built differently. Now, what we need to recognize is that none of these differences are by accidents. None of them are. You know, what's funny is we never doubt. I don't know if any of you have ever asked, well, why aren't the Catalina Mountains in Colorado? Anyone ever thought that? Oh, why couldn't Arizona have just become an island like Australia? Any of us ever wondered about that? But yet so often, don't we ask this? Why on earth did God make me marry someone who's so radically different? Why on earth did God bring to our church somebody who's so radically different from me? And you know what, I, can I help you? He did that to grow you. He did that to grow you. Now here's the question we have to ask, okay? If we're different, how can we have unity when we're different? Because we're not the same. I was gonna have a cool little illustration of my guitar about dissonance, but I don't have enough time to do that. But here's what the question is, is how can we have unity when we're different? But here's what I want you to recognize. The most beautiful music is created with harmony. Harmony, quite literally, is the combination of two notes that are a certain distance apart. When you play two notes that are the same, it's called unison. Music is very boring if it's just unison, right? But if music creates, is created with the diversity of notes, 
that are properly structured, we get harmony. We get the most beautiful sounds. And some of you are not musical people, so you don't maybe understand. That's why you like certain songs. But it is the function of harmony that makes music beautiful. And that shows us that differences are not necessary, or are not an obstacle to harmony. They are actually the function of it. They are actually the building block of harmony. But here's what you need to recognize. If you want unity, you need to have a proper understanding of what unity is. Because here's where we all make a mistake, in church, in family, and in other places. We think that sameness will create unity. We think sameness will create unity. I want you to think about this. Our, our Bibles don't have a ton of um, specific passages that are, that are saying, husbands and wives, if you are experiencing disunity, here's how you fix it. There's not a lot of those, okay? But we do have a lot of New Testament passages about disunity. Because what we will discover even in tonight's sermon is that in the early church, there were some vast differences of, of backgrounds and of opinions in the first century church, weren't there? Can some of you give me some, some uh, things that would have created those differences? Differences of background and differences of opinions that you know from the New Testament that the early churches had? What were the two big ethnic differences? Jews and Gentiles, okay? What were some issues that those Jews and Gentiles looked at differently? Maybe the Sabbath. Tonight we'll talk about meat offered to idols, Romans 14, which is actually a slightly different passage and is talking about a slightly different issue, talks about meat and holidays, probably talking about pork and things like that and the Sabbath and the Passover and all those other holidays. So there was a lot of differences in the church, by the way, more differences than, than probably you bring into your family or even into your marriage or into this church. Vast differences, huge differences. I mean, you're talking about people who have a holy book that says this is wrong and you have other people are saying no Christ means that it's okay and now there's huge differences going on in the church now how does Paul solve those differences because that might give us a key to solve the differences in our marriage you know what Paul says all the Gentiles should just live like Jews did he say that did he say um, all of the the servants all of the slaves should just Immediately advocate for the freedom so the slave uh, master issue is not a problem in the churches. No. Tonight, when we talk about meat off to idols, he's not going to say, all you people who aren't eating meat off to idols, you need to get over it and start eating it. Recognize your freedom in Christ, you bunch of dum-dums. That's not what Paul says. What does he do? He doesn't try to create sameness. And neither should we. Listen. To try and make your spouse's personal hardwiring viewpoints or sin struggles exactly like yours is as impossible as trying to create the Midwestern plains out of the Rocky Mountains. You will literally, if you're trying to make other people like you and think, well, when we are all like each other, that will fix all of our problems. No, because you are quite literally trying to make the plains out of the Rocky Mountains. It's an impossible task. Well, what creates unity? What creates unity is not sameness, it's sanctification. You say, well, this wouldn't be a problem if they agreed with me. 
you're right, but you're wrong too. What we should say is instead, this wouldn't be a problem if we both acted in the spirit (laughs) because that's really how Paul addresses it. Romans 14, if you remember, is uh, the passage where Paul's addressing differences in the church about meat and holidays. And basically what he says is y'all need to stop criticizing each other and saying that each other are wrong because neither of you are right and neither of you are wrong. It's a gray area. And then Romans 14 ends with a variety of exhortations to the church. He calls the church to set aside their pride and to serve one another. He calls the church to love, not to judge. He calls the church to consider each other's background and instincts and try not to do something that hurts the other person's conscience. Here's what Paul's teaching, that unity is not forged by flattening out our differences. I was talking with uh, uh, one of our recent visitors this week. We were talking about how churches in the 90s and the early 2000s, it was common for them to have a traditional service and a contemporary service. What's funny now is all the churches realize, well, that was a dumb idea. And now that's not like the thing to do. Why? Because instead of trying to celebrate each other's differences, they said, let's just segment our church by their differences. That's a great idea. Let's just separate people who are different instead of making them love each other, right? And in marriage, we try to flatten out these differences, but yet what we need to recognize is sameness will not produce unity. Similarity does not produce synergy. If we try to make someone too much like us, what it creates is in the music world, we call it dissonance. When you play two notes, if you go to a piano, maybe you go to the piano downstairs and try this and play two notes that are right next to each other, it will sound horrible. Right, Miss Ruth? We call that dissonance. Because we can never make someone just like us, and so when we try to pull them along, the closer we pull them, likely we're ruining harmony and creating dissonance. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. So we need to recognize that it's our sanctification that creates unity. When we start acting like Christians, that's what creates unity. When we start living a cross-centered life, that's what creates unity. When we start serving one another and start respecting one another's differences, that's what creates unity. It's not sameness. It's not everyone needs to get on our boat. It's we meet in the middle, we serve and love each other. That's what creates unity. And the more we try to think that, that this group needs to be just like me, here's what we're doing. We're creating dissonance in our marriage in our church. Now I want to encourage you real quickly to commit to productive ways to deal with disunity or differences. Productive ways. Here's the first one. Refuse to see differences as right and wrong. If I could only put one in here, it would be this one. It's worth asking before you get upset One very simple question. Has this person committed a moral sin? Well, I wish they had hung my shirt up a different way. Time out, partner. Have they committed a moral sin? Then relax. Okay? It's not right or wrong. It's not right or wrong. 
if it's not a right or wrong issue, then we need to give ourselves and the other person a break. That'll help you a lot. Because here's the the reality. No relationship can stand up to someone who always makes a big deal out of little things. No relationship can last under that pressure. That will crush your marriage. Wives, if everything your husband does wrong, and I'm sure you have a long list, everything he does that bothers you is a big deal and a blow up, I'm, I'm sorry, don't be surprised when he drifts away from you. I'm not saying it's right, but don't be surprised. People can't stand for that. Now, here's the next one. Very similar. Be willing to overlook minor offenses. Here's what Proverbs 10, 12 says. Hatred stirs up strife. It's the person who's filled with hate that intentionally stirs up strife. Love covers all sins. Some differences in your marriage just simply aren't important. My wife likes the Lord of the Ring movies. Lord of the Rings. I'm sorry, Adam. Lord of the Rings. I can't get into them, y'all. I'm sorry. I just can't. The Hobbit, the, the Hobbit trilogy, can't get into it. I do like that scene with the big dragon, if you know what I'm talking about. Pretty cool scene. I can't get into it. She likes watching some of the TLC shows that I think are just brain-rotting television. And I've told that to her, and I still feel that way. They're crazy shows. Like, they're taking advantage of people who have really weird lives. Like, My 600-Pound Life, like, they're just taking advantage of people, right? And I can tell you, for right now, they write a script for those people, and they read it off camera because they're just making up half the stuff. But here's the thing. Our difference in television taste is not a big deal. It's really not. It's really not a big deal. There's a lot of other differences that are not a big deal. Here's the next one. Deal honestly with your anger. The Bible says, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. If you go to bed angry, it's easier to leave things unresolved. If you go to bed angry, you forfeit a chance to deal with your own sin. If you go to bed angry, you probably don't even sleep that well. Don't go to bed angry. Communicate with wholesome talk. Communicate with wholesome talk. You know when the Bible says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouths? You know what it's not saying? What Paul's saying there is, don't, he's not saying, don't use expletives. He's not thinking of a list of banned words in the Christian vocabulary. Now, I don't think you should use curse words, okay? I don't think that, I need to clear that up, but I'm just saying you should, right? What he's saying there is there's a lot of other ways to have unwholesome talk, corrupt communication, being a jerk. You may never utter a curse word, but that's corrupt communication. Being proud, corrupt communication, Right? Uh, tearing someone down, corrupt communication. Gossip, corrupt communication. Uh, angry communication is corrupt communication, right? And then here's the last one. Create something new. The Bible calls us that we leave our families and we become what? One flesh. You know what that verse is saying? Is that it, when, when Shelby and I got married, it was no longer Mike Collins. And it was no longer Shelby Jones. We have created something new. You walk into our home, the, the decor and the style of our home is going to reflect Shelby. Our meal plans and our diet most certainly reflects Mike Collins more than it did Shelby when we got married. Her, 
uh, taste in food has evolved quite a bit because directly of our relationship. We have coffee every morning, right? Um, th- th- that's a product of two people becoming one. And here's the last thing, and I, I know I'm a little over time. Remember that it is Satan who wants you to get caught up in your differences. The, it's not the Holy Spirit who says, you need to get really angry about a trivial thing. Yeah, that's not the Holy Spirit. Satan says, hey, you guys aren't compatible. You need to make them just like you. And so let's remember that these little spats we have, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Meaning this, your argument ultimately is not with your spouse. It's Satan himself who wants you guys to fight. Don't forget that. It's so hard to remember that. Don't forget that.